At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Thanks to Pine Cove Summer Camps for supporting the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. You guys, the Ivy kids are going to camp. They love Pine Cove. We have been sending our kids to Pine Cove for years and years and years. And here's why. Because we trust Pine Cove. We trust their counselors. We trust their mission. And it is such a fun experience for my kids. Check out pinecove.com and use the code HAPPYHOUR250 for $250 off a first-time overnight youth camp registration. That's pinecove.com. Use the code HAPPYHOUR250. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, y'all, Jamie here, and today we have a show that is going to leave you on a little cliffhanger because I'm actually inviting Jasmine on today's show and Friday's show, so you get Jasmine and Jamie all week long. Jasmine Holmes uh, is, is a mom and a wife and an educator and one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram. I'm just going to let you know. You're going to want to go follow her. It's Jasmine L. Holmes. Uh, today she's on and we're going to have some really great conversations about black women who have shaped us in our history. So Jasmine released a book in 2020 called Carved in Ebony. And then she released a young readers edition, which I bought for my daughter's story in 2021. And throughout this book, she looks at 10 women in history who have just changed their world right in front of them in its time when changing was hard to be a black woman in America. So today we're going to talk about two of those women. And then on Friday's show, we'll talk about two more women. We start off today's show talking about why this book? Why was it important for Jasmine to write this book? And I think that you're going to sense from her conversation about that, that this book is important for all of us. So here is episode 562 with my friend Jasmine Holmes. And I'm going to give you a little heads up. You're going to want to go see the show notes on both of these episodes because we talk about a lot of books, like a lot of books that you're going to add to your to read pile right now. So the best way to find those show notes is to go to jamieivy.com backslash HH562. If you just go to jamieivy.com, click on the podcast episode, you'll find everything there. So here's my first conversation of the week with my friend Jasmine Holmes. Hey, Jasmine, welcome to the happy hour. Hi, thank you for having me. You know, I sat down this morning at my office and I was sitting here and we were about to interview and I was like, you know what? Let me look at the last time Jasmine was on the happy hour. And I was like, wait, I'm sorry. Has Jasmine never been on the happy hour? Never. And Lindsay was like, no. She, and I was like, how is it 2023 and she's never been on the happy hour? So I just want to say, I am so happy to have this conversation with you and I and just like cannot believe that this is your first time on the show. So welcome to the happy hour. Thank you. Thank you so much. And when I pulled up my webpage to kind of, I typed in your name and my name to see, you know, when we had been on a show together, which we haven't, uh, it pulled up a blog post that I wrote in March of 2021 when I read uh, your book, um, Mother's Son. Tell me the real title before I mess it up. Mother to Son. 
mother to son. Mm-hmm. And so I was, that's the only time that I have um, ha- have talked about you was when I read your book. And so I'm just grateful to have you here. And I would love it if you would introduce yourself in your own words to our listeners. Yeah. So um, Jasmine, my husband, Philip, um, and I live in Jackson, Mississippi. We have three boys. Wynn is um, six. Langston is four. And Jamie, our Jamie, is um, about to be like 17 months kind of hard to keep track especially on the Um, third one you get into all the months and you're like I don't know just somewhere in between one and two yes my six-year-old is always like he's just one (laughs) right that helps helps. um I'm a writer I was a teacher for um nine years and now I write full-time um I was a history teacher and most of the time I write about history now uh, you are one of my favorite history teachers. I'll tell you that much. I have learned so much from you, from following you on Instagram. And I want you guys to all go follow Jasmine as well. We'll put all of that in the show notes for you as well. But one thing I have really loved about my following you and our lunch that we had together here when you were in Austin is I love the way that you're constantly reminding us uh, to remember the past. And I think in our current culture in America, oftentimes there are some people who are really scared and afraid of the past. And so I would love to ask you just to start off and we're going to jump into a a really, really amazing book that I want to talk about with you about. Um, But what is it for you? Like what, where does that passion come from about the importance of remembering our past? So I grew up hearing about a lot of different Christian heroes, Mary Slessor, Amy Carmichael, um, George Mueller, just all of the, uh, I read all of those like Christian biographies. I remember them. Yes. I loved them. And I loved learning about people who had served God and gone before, but I didn't have any examples of any of them that looked like me. Mm. I didn't know that there were black missionaries. I didn't know that there were like, I come from a Baptist background. So like we use the word like solid a lot. So I'd be like, I don't know if there are any solid black pastors from the past, you know, and it wasn't until becoming an adult that I started learning that there's a robust Christian heritage Mm. of people who look like me. And the reason why that matters is not because my skin color is the most important thing about me, but because it's not. Mm. It shows that God uses everybody indiscriminate of what they look like, where they come from, what their past is, what their people have been through. Um, and that's just really important to me. I love that so much. And and, and the book that we're going to talk about today is Carved in Ebony, and it's Lessons from the Black Women Who Shape Us. And I this book came out, when did this come out, Jasmine? Let's see here. The um, adult version came out in 2021, and the young readers is 2022. Yeah, so I have both, and I had to. I actually can't find my adult copy, but I I had stealed the young readers from Stories Room, so I will I will give that back to her when we are done with our interview. Um, but as I read your books, and I had the privilege of reading them even before they came out, and was just thinking, this is so important. And you just described right now why it's so important for you as a black woman, and I just want to take a minute to say why I think this is important for me as a white woman is. I grew up the same way. And so I saw a lot of people who were, I'll use your words, quote, strong, like followers of Jesus and missionaries that went before, and they all looked like me. And so the tendency would be for for me would be to think, I guess all strong missionaries are white. And I think that is 
such a tragic thing for people who look like me to grow up even if it's not their own fault, even if there's just nothing presented to them, you know, to believe that. And so I'm so grateful for your work. I will say that a million times. I'm grateful for the work you do online. I'm grateful for the books that you write. And so um, these books are for all of us. I don't want anyone to misunderstand that at all. So this book, Carved in Ebony, you wrote a regular adult book, a regular trade book, and then the next year came out with a young reader's edition, which I'm really a fan of both of them, but I'm so grateful for my 15-year-old daughter to have access to this. And so why these women that you picked, and then we're going to dive into some, like, how did you pick, how many are there, 12, 10? How did you pick these women to write about before we jump jump into the two I want to talk about today? So when I first started with the idea, I had picked out a lot of women whose names I knew. I picked out Sojourner Truth, Addie B. Wells, um, Bessie Coleman, just all kinds of people who were more popular. Um, And that was kind of like what I went into the proposal with, what the publishers were expecting. And as I was doing research, I ran across Sarah G. Stanley's name. And I was like, oh, she's cool. She's a missionary that I've never heard about and kind of like looked her up. And when I say missionary, I think people think about people who go overseas for like foreign missions. Right. But she went down south Mm. after the Civil War um, as a missionary to the former land slaves as as kind of like a missionary teacher. And I was like, wow, it's so cool that she just existed and has all these writings. And like, I never knew about her. There's no pictures of her. Um, and it changed the entire trajectory wow. of the book. I was like, oh my gosh, I want I want the people who I haven't learned about. I want the people who I haven't heard about. Um, I want the people who biographies haven't been written about. Mm-hmm. And so that became my litmus test. If there's not a biography written about this person, then I want them to be in carbon memory. Wow, I love that. So how, from a research standpoint, how difficult was that to find information on people who probably like in the 1800s early 1900s which i think is where the space that both all most of your women live no biographies they're black so probably not a lot of records how difficult was this project jasmine um a little bit difficult depending on the who the person was okay so a couple of them had really academic biographies so like mariah stewart francis Allen Watkins harper those are really important people in the history of abolition. So mm-hmm. even though there wasn't like a popular level biography, I was able to find speeches. I was able to find newspaper clippings. Um, for Charlotte Fortin Grimke, she has a diary that's been available forever. Um, so for them, it was easy. For people like Sarah G. Stanley, it was a little bit more difficult. Um, like there was only one book that I found that had her wow. complete letters in it. And um, it was like one of my best research moments of like going online and searching for it and only finding that like one copy at the time was for sale, putting a bid on it, winning, getting it. Wow. It, it was like an adrenaline rush I a bet. lot of the time. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Okay. Well, I want to dive into this book and we're going to talk about two amazing women today. And I'm going to show the book right now. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see it. Um, and we put all of our shows on YouTube now. So if you want to see 
what I look like or Jasmine looks like or watch this conversation, you can go to jamieivy.com slash YouTube. Okay, let's jump in. The first person we're going to talk about is Elizabeth Freeman. And I'm going to start the conversation about these two women by starting with the quote that you have from them at the beginning of each chapter. And then I want to hear what you learn about them, what you love about them. And then I want to end with each of these women as to what do we see God's character in their life. So here's Elizabeth Freeman, and you have this quote from her. It says this, anytime, anytime while I was a slave. If one minute's freedom had been offered to me and I had been told I must die at the end of that minute, I would have taken it. Just to stand one minute on God's earth, a free woman, I would. And so tell us about Elizabeth Freeman and her life. Elizabeth Freeman um, is really cool because her story is the earliest story by far. Um, Hers takes place in the 1780s. Everybody else is kind of like antebellum reconstruction. Um, But she's really neat because... She was the very first black woman in Massachusetts to sue for her freedom, and she ended up winning, and it created a domino effect that outlawed slavery in the state. I mean, that's amazing, because when you started this off, you said that this was actually a document that was created was three years before the mm-hmm. Declaration of Independence. So we're talking... A long time ago and before people were fighting to win yeah. their freedom and and this woman did it so how did yes. she how did she fight to win her freedom so she was actually enslaved by a man who worked on a document called the Sheffield Declaration um, and the Sheffield Declaration had a lot of similar language to the Declaration of Independence talking about men being endowed with rights for their creator um, being on freedom a lot of people don't realize the amount of we don't want to be enslaved language that the founders were using. I mean, we won't be, even in the give me liberty or give me death speech, he goes on and on about how we will not accept the chains of slavery. We will not, you know, will not submit to British rule to the extent that a lot of British commentators were like, really interesting how you guys don't want to be slaves. It is so interesting. Yes. Yes. Okay. I want to go like, off. I want to. I want to go off topic real quick. Okay, because this is not in your book, and this is not anything. But you are a historian, and so I want to ask you this. Um, I mean, I know there's like sin, and I know all of those things, but what do you think was the reasoning that they could use that language of "we don't want to be slaves to the British rule"? Like, we're not under this. We're not chained to this, and at the same time, be enslaving humans like what is your what do you say about that you know when you look at the way that these men talk about slavery they kind of hoped that somebody else was going to fix the problem huh so you have patrick henry saying in a letter that slavery is just doesn't jive with american freedoms and that it's terrible that's that it's brutal that it shouldn't go on and at the end of the letter he's like but it's super convenient. I know that you're probably really shocked that I'm the same person who said these things, but I have slaves, but it's really convenient. And I hope that someday it'll be taken care of. Wow. You have Thomas Jefferson, who in the Declaration of Independence almost put in this entire paragraph about how the British were responsible for the slave trade and how that was part of the fact that they infringed on other people's liberties and so kind of like putting responsibility on the British of like, and now our economy relies on this. What are we supposed to do? Right. Um, but you do sense this, especially with Jefferson and a lot of the first few presidents, you sense this unease of like, this is going to become 
a big deal. This is going to be something that's going to really infringe on the legacy of this country. But I don't want to be the one to do something Mm. about it. It's almost like if you know you're doing something wrong, but you actually benefit from it. And so you can almost like convince yourself that it's not as bad as you might think it is. I, I mean, I don't know. And yeah, as a white woman, I've had plenty of like moments in my life where I'm where I have asked myself, where would I have stood? And I hope I mean, dear Lord, I hope that I would have stood on the abolitionist side. But I'm like, God, please say that I would have. But you know what? I live in 2023. So there's other things that I'm going to look back in 2023 and say, what side did I stand on? If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike, and it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Okay, so there was this uh, Sheffield thing. She heard, she overheard them talking about it, which mm-hmm. I just, I just had like pictured her like being this really big, like she's probably listening and going, wait, what? Like, what is this? And then she just totally took matters into her own hand. I was like wanting to stand up and cheer for her. So tell us a little bit more about how she got her freedom. So she thought about it for a while. She heard the word, she thought about it. The declaration went out and, um, the man who enslaved her was friends with this lawyer, um, Theodore Sedgwick. And she went to Theodore Sedgwick. Um, she knew that he was, he didn't have, he didn't have slaves. He was an abolitionist. And so she was like, Hey, you're a lawyer. Help me out. Um, and his entire attitude towards her was, it does make sense what you're saying. Yeah. Like when I look at the Sheffield declaration and I look at what's going on in this country, you know, at this time it's, the 1780s and so um the revolutionary war has happened and, and, and it's like you know what i see i see what you you're have saying. a point yeah 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 and so she actually wins her freedom and in, in, in the book and here you you say you say betty's story is important not just because she was a profound example of cunning and courage but also because that bravery set the tone for abolishing slavery in the entire state of massachusetts and i just think about that and i think wow one woman's decision one woman's like bravery one woman's decision really set the tone 
for an entire state. And that is just crazy, crazy, yeah. crazy. So she, am I right that she ended up um, actually w- working for pay for that family? She did. And in fact, the family that she won her freedom from, they tried to get her to come back and work for pay. Yeah, they did. And she them. said, uh, no, thank you. She said no. And I bet that felt so good. Oh, I bet she was just she like. never been able to say no to them before. I wish I would have seen her when she walked away from that conversation. She would have been like, uh, no, I'm not going to work for you. No, thank you. I'm good. So she ended up working yep. for that family um, for the rest of her life. Is that right? She did. And just had a really colorful life. Um, their daughter ended up writing a really cool, um, just a little miniature biography about her. Um, and just talking about how, like, one time the house got robbed and the robbers came in. And she, like, stood up to the robbers. And she just was fearless i re- i love that part because she stood up to the robbers by like kind of playing dumb you know like I, I i always i always tell story like it's not it's not um i always tell my daughter it's not appealing for a woman to play dumb so you know you're not dumb don't play dumb but i read this and i was like this is when you play dumb because she was like what do you want from a slave i don't have anything and she had hid all of their jewelry in there and i was just like she was just a very smart courageous woman so one of the things i love about um the way that you tell these stories is you really also weave in like, what do we see about the character of God in their lives? These women are brave and they're courageous. And so for this particular woman, um, Elizabeth, tell me how you see God's character uh, coming through in her life and even play out in her life. Just her advocacy, because when she stood up for her freedom, she was honestly standing up for the freedom of generations of Mm. black women who would come after her in Massachusetts. And so this one act had these ripple effects that really set Massachusetts apart as the abolitionist capital of America in a lot of ways. And you even have um, Charlotte Ford and Grimke later on in the book growing up in um, Philadelphia and Massachusetts and really being impacted by Boston's anti-slavery legacy. And all that started with um, Bet. And this other man, Brock Walker, who stood for their freedom that same year. It's really, really um, encouraging to look back and see, like, that we do make a difference in our stand. I think even in current culture right now, um, there's a lot of injustices that we could list out. Um, And sometimes it can feel daunting. And does this matter? And should I say anything? And we look at, you know, a woman like Elizabeth and see that, like, her one voice really did ripple. And so... I love that so much. Okay, let's talk about another woman. You ready? Yes. Frances Ellen Watkins Harper. Uh, this is a quote that you have for he- for her. We are all bound up together in one great bundle of humanity, and society cannot trample on the weakest and feeblest of its members without receiving the curse in its own soul. So Frances is, um, she comes into play a little bit later. She was born in 1825, and she was actually born a free woman. So tell us about her story. Yeah, Um I love Francis. I imagine Francis as just being this paragon of dignity. I think if she walked into the room, like everybody would, they called her the bronze muse, um, which I think if somebody calls you the bronze muse while you're still alive, that's a good thing. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Um, She was born free. Her parents died when she was very young and she was raised by her uncle, William Watkins, who was an abolitionist pastor um, and the cool thing about research is I had already written her chapter and like turned it in and finished everything. And I was reading the abolitionist papers and ran across several letters by William Watkins, her uncle. And this guy was a beast. 
Um, and Frances wasn't raised in a particularly like loving environment. She had to go work for herself. She had to provide for herself. So even though she lived with her uncle, he didn't treat her like one of his own children. Yeah. So she grew up with this sense of independence um, and also this sense of like kind of doing things to impress him mm. um, and him just kind of like continuously pushing her towards greatness. Yeah. So she became a teacher. And, you know, back in the day, if you were a woman who wanted to make an impact and didn't want to get married and didn't want to have kids, then you were going to become a teacher. That's what you're going to do. Um, and so that was her outlet. But she kind of came to this crossroads and she was teaching of, do I want to continue to teach or do I want to get involved in the same activism that my uncle is involved in? Um, the decision was made for her. She left Baltimore and Baltimore is a really interesting city because Maryland was a slave state, stayed a slave state until the end of the Civil War. Um, but it was like a border state. Yeah, so I didn't know that. Mixture. Yeah, there was a mixture of free and enslaved people. And so their laws were really strict because they were like, all of these free black people are going to conspire with these enslaved people. Remember, like, Nat Turner's Rebellion happens in 1831. And so people are feeling really tense of, like, we don't want an uprising on our hands. So the laws were very strict. And um, while Francis was away teaching, they made a law that if you were a Black free person, you couldn't come into the state. So the only way to get into the state as a black person was to get in the state as an enslaved person. So she's cut off from her home and she's kind of a refugee, um, goes to Philadelphia and she lives with William Phil, who is the father of the Underground Railroad. Um, over 800 formerly enslaved people made their way through his home on their way to freedom. And he recorded their stories. Um, and so Francis got to be part of that, kind of got to be up close and personal. And eventually she became an anti-slavery lecturer. And then after the Civil War, she was a feminist lecturer. She was a novelist. She was a poet. Um, she was way before Rosa Parks. Frances Ellen Watkins Harper refused to give her seat on a streetcar. Um, she's just amazing. So amazing. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Thanks to Pine Cove Summer Camps for supporting the happy hour. I know that 2023 has only just begun, but this is actually the perfect time to start thinking about your kids' summer plans. My kids have loved their camp experience at Pine Cove, and here's why. Pine Cove Camps offers a safe place of belonging and community. It's a safe environment where campers often say that they felt free to be themselves without judgment for the first time. Campers have community as well as a shared foundation of gospel truth. Pine Cove Camps is a Christ-centered, others-focused, and seriously fun uh, camp with over 50 years of experience. Every kid is going to hear the gospel. They're going to see it lived out. Their college summer staff are amazing Christian role models that you will definitely want your kids to be around. Start a new summer tradition for your child at Pine Cove this summer with camp locations in Texas, Georgia, and South Carolina. Check out pinecove.com. Use the code HAPPYHOUR250 for $250 off a first-time overnight youth camp registration. At Amica Insurance, 
We know it's more than just a car or a house. It's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home. When you combine auto and home insurance with Amica, we'll help protect it all. And the more you cover, the more you can save. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. I want you to talk to us a little bit about um, the Fugitive Slave Act because that impacted what she did as well. So walk us through that a little bit. Yes. So in 1850, we're continuously at this point adding states to the union. And now when states come into the union, southern states and northern states are kind of like, there needs to be a balance. Mm -hmm. There needs to be a balance of uh, what states are slave states and what states are free states because we want our interests represented equally in Congress. And so um, in the 1850s, there was a compromise where um, few states were allowed into the union. And as part of that compromise, the fugitive slave law was kind of ramped up. And so there'd always been fugitive slave laws. There'd always been um, incentive for returning enslaved people back south when they escaped. But in the 1850s, incentives were ramped up and so were penalties. Mm. Penalties for housing enslaved of people mm-hmm. and then for housing penalties for um probably assisting didn't like permanent people uh-huh. mm-hmm. so it it went from like hey we want you to help and if you do we'll give you a reward to if you don't help legal action will be yeah taken. and so they're it's almost like bounty hunters kind of and, and they're paying Absolutely. they're paying them money to now you can say like they're paying them and money US to too Okay, U.S. That's that's exciting. So yeah, U.S. Marshals, okay, are being paid yeah. to find enslaved slaves and bring them back. But tell us where the problem lies. Well, if you fit a description, you get brought back. That's what I'm. Yeah. So yeah, you're looking. You're looking for these people, and you don't find them, but you find somebody who looks like them. You bring them back, and so what's happening in it is they're actually capturing free black people. Yes, a lot of the time. And a lot of the time, you know, when people talk about um, the Civil War, a lot of times I'm from Texas. And so I grew up like states rights, states rights, states rights. Um, And it was only as an adult that I realized that these fugitive slave laws were taking rights away from the states to enforce slavery because I'm in Boston. Right. I'm not a slaveholding state, but I'm forced by federal law to participate in the slave trade by sending people who have run away back to mm. southern states. And so southern states are forcing northern states to participate um, in this enterprise. So it wasn't just like our state law is what you're trying to say. This is this way yeah, better tra- than that. They're really trying to get everybody to participate. Right. Like, yeah. You got to be part of this. So how, what is, she, she becomes like just, uh, she's a big abolitionist. She's women's rights, all the things. What does she, how does she spend the rest of her life? So she ended up, it's really beautiful and kind of sad. She stepped away from the spotlight um, and got married and had a daughter. And then her husband died and she had to step back up and provide for her daughter. And she did that by um, speaking and advocating really for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. Um, Iola Leroy, her novel comes out in the 1890s. Um, She writes a book of poetry and she continues to just kind of lecture and advocate. You, you put in here that she was the first black woman in American history to publish a short story. 
and mm-hmm. um, you have some pieces from her speech in here as well. Um, I I really liked her because she like you said she didn't she had to kind of always find a way for herself you know she had to always make that way and she really made a big difference let me i'd love to ask you where you see god's character throughout her life and in her life i love her understanding of the dignity of people who are created in god's image yeah um in one of her speeches she talks about the cruel alchemy that turns human beings into profit um she just had such a poetic way of just speaking and bringing to light the fact that we are made in God's image and we have inherent dignity and worth that needs to be protected. And when we don't protect that inherent dignity and worth in other people, then we are not living up to what God's called us to do. And of all of the women, um, I really love the way that she articulated that the best. Mm, We need that today, Francis. So that message is still rings true um, for lots of people who are not given the dignity that they deserve here in 2023 as well. So I think even when I think about that, I'm, I, I've said it a ton of times, I'm so grateful for your work to help us remember these women. And um, it's just crazy that we're having some of the same conversations with different layers and different meanings today, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so there, it's, like, it's not like what Francis did solved everything and here we are, like we're on the other side. I feel like that we're still in so many ways right here with Elizabeth and Francis, like fighting for some things. Um, and I know you feel that in a deeper way than I do. Um, Cards and Ebony, uh, Lessons from the Black Women Who Shape Us. Jasmine, this is um, a phenomenal book. You guys, we're going we're gonna to have, I'm going to have Jasmine on Friday show as well. And we're going to talk about two more women. But Jasmine, I want to hear right now, what are you reading these days? Jamie wants to know, Jamie wants to know, we want to know what you're reading. So I just finished reading House of Eve um, by Sadiqa Johnson. So The Yellow Wife was one of my top reads from last year. And it's one of my top like fiction recommendations for people who really want to understand more about slavery, how it works, how it looks. It is not for the faint of heart. It's about a Virginia slave jail. And you just really kind of get up close and personal with what chattel slavery really looked like. Mm. Um, but it was just beautifully written, beautifully rendered, heartbreaking. And so House of Eve has a really cool connection with it. Um, it takes place in the 40s and it's about motherhood and loss. And it's just, I read it in like three days. I devoured it and I read it as an advanced reader copy. So normally I do audiobooks. Um, and I read, I don't really have time to like pick up a book and like look right. at it and read uh-huh. this book. I was like, you couldn't stop. It. It's so good. It's okay. So, so House good. of Eve. But what was the first book you mentioned that came before that? The Yellow Wife. The Yellow Wife. Same author. Same. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. I'm going to put those on my to read list. I have not. Are, do you read mostly nonfiction? Um, no, I read mostly fiction. Oh, I totally would have yeah. um, thought the opposite for some reason. Yeah, I read a lot of nonfiction for work. Okay, okay, okay. That's so that's what I'm I meant. Enjoying myself. Yeah, if I'm enjoying myself, but like I read a hundred books last year, and only twenty of them were nonfiction. A hundred books for like cover to cover, because normally for work, you know, I'm just oh, reading I know. like a chapter, yeah, 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 yeah. or a you know, 
Okay, we're going to talk about that more in the next episode. I'm trying to read 50 books this year, and we're recording this on January 24th, and I have finished zero. I've got eight that I'm going, and I do not like reading eight books at one time. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But I'm like you. I read a lot for work, but it'll be like skimming or taking in a bunch of content, not literally like page, page, page. Um, But I'm going to add both of those books to my to-read list because I want to jump into those. Um, Jasmine, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. You guys come back for the show on Friday because we're talking about two more women uh, with Jasmine. The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey is a production of Ivy Media Podcasts. Executive produced by Jamie Ivey, produced by Lindsay Sweeney, edited by Angie Elkins, art by Jen Jet Barrett, original music by Matt Graham, and I'm your host, Jamie. Have a happy hour with a friend. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy.